podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the Anfield Rap, Neil Atkinson, Glenn Price, Paul Cope and Ben Johnson on Radio City Talk with you until half past seven. We're pre-recording this in the afternoon and as we pre-record this, it looks more and more likely as though Lucas Leiva is going to be leaving Liverpool, uh, which is... Well, it's uh, first and foremost, it's you know a player who's been fully committed to the cause, and as I constantly say on shows, to the point that I bore myself, he's uh, he's actually spent his whole adult life in the city of Liverpool, Paul Cope, and it's it's important to remember that really he's come over, he's come over with his partner, uh, they've, they've had children. Uh, this has been, you know, it, it's a strange thing to sort of say it, but it, there are many ways you can define a homegrown player, uh, but Lucas Leiva sort of is now Lucas Leiva from Liverpool rather than Lucas Leiva from Brazil, and it's quite a really odd, strange thing, but it's probably also true. Yeah, he's been he's been on a he's been on a very interesting journey the whole time he's been here, hasn't he? And it's it's been nice that he's he's turned it around so well and and very much been accepted as as a homegrown lad. I think very even the videos you see online and stuff like that. But it's, it comes back to something we we talk about a lot on on tour player shows about uh, the human element of it of all as well because the reality is his kids are scousers yeah and and they're going to move now to somewhere that they they don't see as home and to him it might just be another move part of his career but to his, to his family and his kids it's it's an upheaval after after being here for a long time so it'll be it'll be sad to see him go on on the football side i think um i think we all expected him to go but i i was starting to think maybe we'd wait until the end of the window to decide on whether whether he would go or not, because and unless this means we are definitely getting another centre midfielder in, or, or another, or and another centre half, yeah, absolutely. Um, then it, it, you could end up leaving yourself a little bit, a little bit light in those areas. I think it's, I think it says a lot, Ben. In general, just, you, I you think Lucas leaves because he's had conversations with the club, he's had conversations with the manager, he's had conversations with his family, and he's obviously had conversations with Lazio, and he feels as though no, this is now the, the right next thing to do. And but you would think, as Paul's saying, that part of those conversations might be there's two new lads coming in, and one of them makes you fifth choice centre half, and the other one makes you fourth choice holding midfielder. That's the reality next season. Do you want to be part of that reality, or would you rather go somewhere where you're confident that you get 30, 30 starts? Yeah, I think it's been a it's been a sort of recurring theme over the last three or four windows in which. Oh I mean, yeah, we could all be we could be chatting here and and, and yet again, <laughs> Lucas, <laughs> Lucas turns around, someone and, gets injured tonight, yeah, which and, has happened before. Yeah, and he's and suddenly he's captain against Watford. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of, in terms of, what that's the squeakiest chair in the world. It's actually. ridiculous to move studios. In, in terms of um, of his impact on the club, whether whether or not he's going to leave or not, I think that one of the big things in relation to if, you know Ivan when he does go is that he's going to be a, a central character of the squad that's going to miss out. You know that's going that's going to leave and it's going to leave a, a big hole. I think to, that that's going to need filling. Um, I think it's evident from his relationships with all the players, um, especially the South South American ones, in that he's quite key in helping people to settle. Um, and I think. Once he goes, I think I think it's he's going to be missed not just because he's you know he gives options on on the on the pitch, but he's going to be missed because of his contribution to the squad overall. Um, in relation to whether him going would indicate that we're definitely getting a centre half and a centre mid, I think that I think it's clear that we want one, and I think the conversations we've probably had with him is listen, we we're after the centre mid, the centre half, and you know you you played however many games you played last year, not very many you started last year, you're probably going to start less. And, and even if they don't come in, you've got Grewich who played the other night. How many appearances do you think he made last year? I'm going to let, let Glenn Price has told me this, so I'm going to let Glenn give you the answer. How many, how many appearances do you think he made? I think he started... Not starts, just appearances. Oh, just appearances. I'm not interested in appearances. I'm, I'm a starting man. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's something like uh, 18 league games or something. Uh, Paul? All comps. Or all comps. League? I'm going league. I'm t- I'll, I'll, get you the, I'll get you the league stats in a minute. Just give us a minute. Go on. All, all comps. Appearances all comps, I'd say, um, this could be way out, but 32. Oh, Glenn. It's 31. Oh. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, that that number, like, quite surprised. If you if you said at the start of last season that Lucas is going to play 31 games, you'd, you'd, you'd be quite surprised because he was fourth choice centre-half even then. Yeah. Um, he was, like, third defensive midfielder, backup. So it just shows you that you think you always have enough in your squad, but just things pop up that you, you can't foresee like injuries and then you obviously had the stuff with Matip and all that um, you will get your games and, and that was even last season was without one less competition um, and didn't, Liverpool didn't get very far in the FA Cup so mm. there will be games next season certainly um, but as I say if Liverpool do 
bring in another centre half that put, puts him down in the pecking order. You got Young Joe Gomez who may or not may may go out on loan or may stay. So yeah, th- those thirty-one appearances could certainly be slashed. Uh, all comps, nineteen starts, uh, twelve from the bench, and then uh, off the bench uh, when he was just on the bench and didn't get on a further twelve, uh, twelve times that that happened. So it is, you know, it's it is. A, I I wouldn't necessarily guess nineteen starts all comps myself either. I think it was it's quite easy to sometimes think that certain players are bit part players when they're doing it a little bit more for you, but. If Liverpool do sign uh, and the, the the centre half and the centre mid, the only centre half and centre mid that they seem to be genuinely linked with Paul, then you really do see those numbers sort of dropping dropping by a significant factor. To be honest with you, uh, even though as Glenn says that you know there could quite easily be at least another eight games uh, pushed, dropped in there through the season, it it does become harder and harder to sort of see how the route through to getting on the pitch. Yeah, definitely, especially especially with the the names we're linked with. I think as a as a player like Lucas, you, that's what you're looking at. That and we've there's been a lot of talk over, of this over the summer as well. Even Emre Chan, it's probably one of the things he's got his eye on. Because if you bring in if you bring in Naby Keita, even Emre Chan's thinking how many games am I going to get? So if you're Lucas in the step behind Emre Chan, you you think well I haven't got I haven't really got a chance here. And and we could we talk about the extra games, but the this this often comes up with about uh, young players' development. But I've I've always said in the past. The Europa League's great for young player development. The Champions League doesn't help you at all because you know what are you going to do? I remember a manager of Liverpool not so long ago resting players in the Champions League and it, it didn't go down that well with people. So it's not as if you're going to you would I can't really imagine Lucas getting games in the Champions League if he's not getting games in the in the Premier League. Uh on this the manager of the night and again a part of what informs all these discussions Ben the manager of the night post uh, post the the Tramier game is asked about the transfers, about the idea that supporters are nervous, and he's very clear that he's not nervous, and yeah. he's very clear. I'm not going to say anything to to assuage your nerves. So you try not to be nervous, lads. He was all but saying it's sunny, go outside and have a pint, but he managed to hold himself back. Um, but there was a there, there was a thing there where, you, and in general, the fact that there are no other links, you know, kited looks like there's been some movement. We're going to talk more about centre mids after seven o'clock in general, uh, in the way the, the position and the games changed, but. It is. It does seem that all Liverpool vibes are seemingly that they're still pretty confident they're going to get the two that they wanted at the start of the thing. That there's nothing, nothing's changed, nothing's got took them away from that course of action. And that's the thing I'm saying. Here. Nothing's got them away from that course of action. That it's Van Dijk and it's Keita. And the longer that goes on, the more you sort of think they're going to get the two who they've decided they're going to get. Yeah, I think so. And I, th- and I think it, it just needs to go on a bit of context. I think the whole thing you, you did. You know, you seen you seen us sign Salah the other week, um, and people were calling it a transfer saga. And from the minute we like lodged our first offer to the minute he signs, it was like two and a half weeks or something, it's three weeks. Now that's gone on forever in a day. People are thinking that people just may, you know, historically. Paul Senior can't can, can't buy and sell bars that fast. <laughs> <laughs> but if but if someone you know, when you used to buy when we bought John Barnes, that went on for ages. Yeah. For ages and ages and months. ages. That was that a month. Transfer saga. Yeah. This was like three weeks. And the, the, the thing about Kaita, and I, and I think it's just a, it, it's a, it's a, it's a byproduct of the way like nobody's got any patience anymore for anything. So everybody's everybody's always checking the news and they're always checking everything and everyone's flapping about everything. Why haven't, why haven't we bought? Why is nothing happening on my timeline? Why haven't we bought them yet? We've well, been on holiday for a bit. He's been away. We've had an all right. We cocked up a little bit on that, but it's gone quiet. But I think overall, the club is still confident because it's a week, two weeks into the transfer window. There's whatever six weeks left. There's still plenty of time in which to buy these players, and there's also not a rush to get them in for the for Champions League qualifiers because I think it's doing a disservice to the players who were there now to suggest that this squad isn't strong enough to compete for the first four to six weeks of the season by the time you bed these players into the way you want them to play. I don't think there's an issue around that. You've got the team that started last season is pretty much going to be fit and that team was top of the league and was flying. So what's the big deal? Let's get them in when we get them. And um, what are we all flapping over? And, and he's right. The, the manager's right. It's crazy. Yeah, you, um, you, you were looking at him, weren't you? He, he he was he looked like the most relaxed man in the world. Yeah, th- th- there's that picture as well when he was in Ibiza with the umbrella hat on. <laughs> just yeah, he, he's not that fussed. Um, he was in Iceland when the uh, Van Dyke stuff happened, so you know, he not can't, the can't be disappointed. No, <laughs> <in the country. laughs> yeah, I just think, bargains. Yeah. <laughs> 
I'm very frugal. <laughs> I'm best you sponsor. Yeah, I, the, the thing with the preseason is, I think you've touched on it before, Neil. I think the Germany training camp is quite. That's the big one, isn't it? Because I think Hong Kong, there's you, you go in as part of this Premier League Asia Trophy, and from what I'm led to believe, there's going to be more, you know, partners, requirements, and, and obligations for the players to fill. So that all takes time out of you know the training that the manager wants to do. Whereas, as it was in America last season, um, there was a real training camp field. There was a bit of a hub in um, at Stanford University. That's going to be the case in, in Germany. Uh, they they play. I think they've got two days in in like where where they're based, which is like a, a bit outside of Munich, and then they go into Berlin, and then they're coming back to this hub again. So that that's where they're going to get the real work done. And I think maybe if you get around to that time where they're flying off to Germany and and the manager hasn't got those the players in that he wants, maybe. The maybe. message will be a bit different, but yeah, uh, there's, there's still a long time to go in football terms. Okay, uh, this is the Anfield Wrap on Radio City Talk. I mentioned Hong Kong there. Gareth Robertson, John Gibbons have gone out uh, to Hong Kong for the Anfield Wrap, and we'll be covering that uh, th- throughout uh, the next week or so. They're going to be out there chatting to people, and hopefully you'll get it all on tour player and the AnfieldWrap.com so you can get that there. Uh, happy birthday to Paul Senior. I mentioned earlier on he's been 30 this week. I'm Philippa Smallwood as well, she, but she didn't tell me the number, and I wouldn't ask, I wouldn't pry. Uh, but this is the Anfield Wrap on Radio City Talk. After the break, I'm going to be chatting to Dave Downey about Everton. You hear a lot about ever at the moment uh, but I'm going to be asking him about sort of well I'm going to be slightly more sceptical uh, than some noises some reports so far not in a mean way though you know I wouldn't do that sort of thing this is the Anfield Rap the Anfield Rap on Radio City Talk and joined we spoke to Steve Armstrong a couple of weeks ago to talk about what Man United have been up to and now joined by Dave Downey to talk about what Everton have been up to uh, so far in this window and the answer to that is busy uh, Dave Downey mm. there's one if I can be, take the Liverpoolian point of view uh, very very quickly indeed there's the idea that the one thing, the one criticism I would have of Everton's business, uh, with still more to come, is, and mm. it's difficult, I don't think it's easy for Everton at all, is Everton want to break into the top six. They finished seventh last season, but they've actually sold their top scorer from last season to the side that finished sixth. Mm. And that, to me, is the one which sort of, which clangs a little bit. I think Chelsea, how do you get 93 points again, if you know what I mean? If, if Lukaku had gone to Chelsea, you could say, well, how do you break 93 points again? What's that going to, what difference does that make to Everton? But there is a thing here, isn't there, where it's tough for the Blues because they've got to find a way to be able to buy and sell in a manner which helps them break into the top six whilst knowing they may well be selling their better players to top six sides. Well, yeah, because that's always going to be the byproduct of having a top player is they're going to want to play, well, not in the top six, but in the Champions League. And, and that's what we've seen happen with Lukaku. Um, and that's where there the needs to be some real savvy business done by Everton. And I think they've done it in parts. In others, I think they've gone for uh, improvements, but not necessarily improved enough to get you within that top six comfortably. I think they'll challenge for it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but I think you, you look at some of the, the, the one that really sticks out for me that looks quite shrewd is, is Sanzo from, from Malaga. Very um, I mean, from what I've seen of him, which isn't a great deal, is he's going to be very good. Uh, he, he's quick. He's, he's something that we haven't had for a long time. Um, and he come at a relatively well, a very small cost. Yep. So therefore, you you, you know you, that isn't a risk that that sort of business. The other ones we pay big money out for in Keane, Pickford, probably Sigurdsson as well, come with the elements of risk that there's. Well, with with the other two at least with Keane and Sigurdsson, I think first of all they have a ceiling, um, yep. and we we know pretty much round about where that is. Um, there's still obviously they can improve. Still, obviously they can have great seasons. We don't know what they're going to be like together either. But uh, on the face of it, you'd think that they're not necessarily going to get you within the, towards the top four. So, like I say, they're going to get you better than they're probably better than where Everton are at and where last season because Everton were comfortably the seventh best side in the league. That didn't require them being that much better than everybody below them, yep. but it meant they were considerably worse than everybody above them. I think this will get us closer. Uh, I'm not necessarily sure it'll get us there. Is the job, therefore, and this is this, <clears throat> this is the interesting one for me, last season it was a really high points total to finish fourth. Liverpool grabbed it with 76 points. Is the job, therefore, for Everton, you know, if, you, if you're writing Ronald Koeman's KPIs for the season to come, it, with the business done now, with the possibility of what looks likely to still happen mm. going forward, is basically the job to get around 66, 68 points, hope that one or two of the sides above you have a bad year, but also push for let's at least start with saying 
Europa League. The idea of quarter-finalists, semi-finalists in the Europa League with everything that's attendant with that, being able to perhaps win the trophy, then qualify for the Champions League through that door, or just in general enjoy the experience of that. Is that Do you think that's sort of where the, where the bar is for Koeman this season? I think... Um... I mean, Evertonians generally put pressure on people and players like no other. But in a realistic capacity, I I think that's that is pretty much it. Um, not to say that there isn't an achievement of sorts. I think if there's a, a tangible improvement in how Everton play, not with just the reliance. I mean, Lukaku scored twenty five league goals last year, twenty six league goals last season. Next nearest to him was Ross Barkley with five. Mm. Um, that needs to change. There needs to be. I've said this many times. If you look at Liverpool's attack, I think they've got so much variety, so much pace, um, so many players that can move around. There's movement all over the place, and it's always busy. If you're an opposition manager and you look at Liverpool's side, you think which one of these is he emphasising today? Which one of these is going to be the man that leads this attack? Yeah. Uh, with Everton, the answer was simple. And you block Lukaku out of the game, you probably knew you were coming away with a draw or better. Uh, and, and that's where things need to change and that's where things will change firstly because he's left but secondly because Koeman's gone about his business addressing key areas and the big one for me is that Ross Barkley role in that number 10 position which is I think the reason why you haven't seen him sign a contract or move on yet it's, it's a bit of a stalemate all around that one and it's getting really awkward actually and, and I think it might um, fester a little bit longer still but in that area he's, he's looking to get Sigurdsson um, he's got Davy Klassen from Ajax We've done that thing where we go and buy other teams' best players, um, and we can only guess as to what that'll do as the the sum of that, what that'll be. Um, I, I definitely think we'll be a lot closer, but the bar, I think, if we were to, I'd, I set the target of seven, we get 17, we don't get Champions League. I think it obviously gets you in the top six. If we get 17, doesn't get you Champions League, then you can't really argue. It's like the season we got 72 under Martinez, yeah. we finished fifth. That really happens if we, if we can go to 70. I'd be, I'd be really happy, but yeah, I, I think it's the old adage of needing to get a cup on the board or getting close to one. I mean, funnily enough, the, the closest we've been recently is the two, two cup competitions under Martinez, where we got to two semi-finals, and yet we had a dreadful season in the league. So simply that won't cut it because he that, he paid the price of, of his job. Yeah. Um, so Kuma needs to sustain everything on all fronts, Neil, and I think it's a difficult challenge. I think one look at the start we've got as well. Oh, I mean, I mean that's it's that it's very much everyone's got to keep their heads if that doesn't yeah. go as you'd hope. Exactly, and. As as well as we've done in the in the transfer market, as exciting as it is to see all of these new players coming in, and I'm all for getting carried away with that. You put a realistic hat on and you think, well, they're tough opening six games. There, let's let's just with European games to be played in that period exactly. As well. Let's rein it back. I mean, we we got probably going to play SK Brand in the qualifier, which was announced today. Um, they're second in their league. They're halfway through the season, so the match fit as well. Everton go into it cold in in a couple of weeks, having had just a couple of preseason friendlies. Um, so th- that could be a cha- well, it will be a challenge, and it could be difficult. Um, and a lot of people are pinning hopes on the Europa League, like you've just said. There, I think it's a massive thing for Everton to be in this season. Um, so yeah, I, I I think there's a a big big ask for Cumin. But having said that, I don't think they're finished yet in the transfer market. So you know, whatever else is to come, will will improve the squad. I mean, the the one thing that's missing there you mentioned it before was pace. You know, the the, the players have come in and done they've got a ton of pace. What they do look like they've all got though is I think you know Everton have signed in Rooney. We'll come on to in a minute in more detail, but Klassen and uh, in Sandro, they have signed three lads, so I think you can quite easily put an argument together to say they can get 12 goals a season. Mm. Those three can get 12 goals a season. If you had Sigurdsson to that, that looks the case. But one of the things that I then go is, well, obviously getting them all on the pitch at the same time, because mm. not one of them looks to me like they'd be particularly happy or comfortable playing in a wide area. They don't look like that sort of player, any of them. They don't, that, they've not got that background. Rooney at the age of 31 <clears> hasn't come back to Everton to run the channels. Yeah, you know, I don't think that that's, that, that's plausible. I'm quite... That's the thing I'm waiting to sort of see is how this, this Everton side where he's bought a lot of lads who are either number eight to number nines or number tens, and he's got them all central. Got yeah, they're all just playing in a line yeah. through the middle of the pitch, and, and you know Balassi's still away, away, and you don't know what he's going to come back like. It does look, I'm you know, I'm I'm wondering about sort of how this ends up sort of shaking down from a starting eleven. I completely agree. They're, they're my they're, they're, that's the thing I'm most um, cautious about this season is the lack of pace, but also the lack of width as well. I think that they can be two very different things because you can have pace in narrow areas, but. Um, I look at that squad and I think, well, there's, there's there's runners, but there's not out and out blistering 
uh, sprinters in that side. There's Morales, yeah, probably going to be a bit power player, even though he signed a contract. Don't necessarily think he's he's going to get short on his boots anyway. Um, the the one the one for me, I think, is a bit of a wild card, and and I think he'll be key to Everton this season, certainly in the counter attacking sense. Is Adam Ola Luckman had a fantastic under twenty World Cup. Um, and, and looks like he's he's primed so you think and he ready. He might get more games than an outsider like me might think at this yeah, stage. Yeah, I, I think he would um, because he's he's he, like I said, he's a bit of a wild card. He's he's fond of a trick. He likes beating uh, beating players. He likes to take people on. He likes expressing himself. We don't really have anybody else like that. Um, for that reason, I'm surprised that hasn't been addressed as one of the key areas. Cummins looked at, along the the spine of the side. Got obviously had to address up front with Lukaku midfield. He's he's thrown Klassen in there. The midfield I think is really good. Um, and and again we have runners. We haven't even mentioned Tom Davis, who was a star last season. Um, I just so, wonder if he's going to play at diamonds. You see, that's what I sort of ended yeah. up. I was looking at the squad the other day. If you might think, you but know what? Last season we got away with the lack of width simply because the fullbacks were allowed to have more freedom going forward. Obviously, Coleman's out. Baines is on the steady decline in his. He's in the twilight of his career now. Don't necessarily think he's going to get too much joy from wide areas and. There's a young lad there, John Joe Kenny, who played a couple of substitute appearances towards the end of the season. He looks like a real talent. There's talk of Cuco Martina coming in potentially this weekend, actually. I think it's pretty close to being done. I think he'll see him as cover, um, not necessarily giving Kenny too much game time, which is a shame because I think he's ready for it. Uh, he provide pace, he provide width, and he provide crosses. Um, I, I think it's a, it's a strange one from Cooman that we haven't addressed that yet. There's talk of Damari Gray at Leicester. He'd bring width, he'd bring pace. Um, but it all seems very narrow, very congested. A lot of players who are fantastic technically, but not necessarily one who's going to run off and, and somebody releasing behind a, a back line. I mean, even the talk of Giroud as well, which I'm all for. Again, I mean, you look at your approach to the season there with Sanjo, yeah, he's, he's got movements and he's quite quick. But Sanjo, Rooney, Giroud, I mean, that, that's sat a static front, well, front two plus Sanjo who we don't know what he's like and he hasn't played in, in the Premier League yet. It's a big question mark over what we can do going forward, but I completely agree with what you said about sharing the goals around. I think you've got players there. Now you can say, well, look, the challenge is double figures. If you hit that, you're not missing Lukaku. Uh, lastly, uh, before we get back to everyone else, just dead quick, Rooney, you were against him coming back and then as it began to sort of build, you got yourself very excited indeed about it. I mean, that's the the emotion of, of a football support. The only thing that slightly clangs to me as an outsider a little bit is just that, you know... It's it's strange with Rooney. There's almost that that the Evertonian mythology around him because you didn't get that many games <clears> from the first time. Mm. Uh, but for whatever reason, and, and it's the it's part of having a fondness towards a footballer. He, he he did manage to sort of stay as 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 a footballer that at least a number, of, not all, but a number of Evertonians were able to feel quite fond of. He's been an underlying concern since he left, um, and again. People who, like he's just there in the psyche all the time. Yeah, all the time. Uh, whether it be, and I'm not just talking about him coming back with Man United. I'm not talking about him kissing badges. I'm not talking about him scoring goals necessarily. What I'm talking about is Everton's narrative since he left the club has always had him involved, and by that I mean you've heard me speak about Ross Barkley and not being able to cope with pressures and all sorts of stuff like that. Um, and Evertonians have been desperate since he left to have someone come along and fill the void that was there from, one, a local lad, uh, also, again, with the backdrop of Steven Gerrard at Liverpool, uh, being a local lad and a legend as well, and look at that, you know, everything he did, the way Liverpool fans adore him, Everton wanted their version of that, they didn't get it, and it was it left a sour taste in the mouth when he left, because he was going to be that man, what he went on to achieve at Man United, there's always been an eye towards him, there's always been an eye towards him when we're comparing not him, but young players emerging in this side, the latest being Tom Davis. Barkley suffered immensely from people saying, oh, he's not, not going to be as good as the lad that broke onto the scene in 2004. I think that's in the psyche. I think that... So him coming Sub- back almost solves that? Subconsciously, yeah. And and him coming back, and he, he spoke really well, actually, um, between the aims, <laughs> about coming back with unfinished business and a trophy that winning, uh, winning a trophy with Everton eclipsing anything he did at Man United. Slight bit of hyperbole there, I think, um, and very much appeasing to our fan base. But um, I, I think he feels that... I, I'm, I'm quite impressed that he's come back. Uh, firstly, because he didn't have to. Uh, he yeah. could have sat there comfortably at United, eased his way into retirement. He could have gone to China, China yeah. and, and him millions upon millions. He stuck his neck out and he, he looks up for the challenge. Now, 
I, I'm, I've been conflicted and I've got a lot of stick lately for sort of saying, well, you're contradicting yourself because when I heard that he was coming back or when it was mooted that he was coming back, I was probably devastated because I thought, I don't want this to, to happen and the dream to be completely flattened. I think maybe just leave it as it is rather than risk him coming back being a complete flop, barely playing a game and thinking, what was all that fuss about? Um that all changed when I seen him in an Everton shirt, uh, and I hate the fact that Everton is sentimental. They're probably the most sentimental club you know. Everything's directed at Liverpool. It's directed at the history. Um, you know, there's there's a there's a pride which, whilst admirable, I think is but certainly to me is a little bit sort of sugar coated and, and and sickening. And there's nothing really behind it of any sustenance that I, I want to see as a footballer. I want to see my team win. And what really did me head in was the commercial aspect that went round Rooney because the first thing people will tell you is he's got to win a mentality. Great. Loads of players have that you can go out and buy that you've just spent 150, 200 million pounds on in the transfer market. Uh, the, the, the second aspect of that is the commercial thing. Well, Rooney will sell shirts all over the world. Well, so does winning games and so does winning trophies and establishing yourself, establishing yourself like that. Call me traditionalist, but that's the way I want my team to do it. I don't care for that. I know there's a place for it and I understand people who do, but there's for me, I, I need to see my team win, and I, I want substance over style in that regard. So, I'm I'm still very cautious about what he'll offer as a player. Not sure how much Kuman will use him by the looks of things. He's gonna put him in quite a bit, and he will lead the line with him. Hopefully, he's as fit as he's looked in in his photo shoots and all that stuff. He's got a great goal in the first friendly this season. That that'll do him the world of good. Um, but it, it's still it's still not. It's a niggle in my mind that whether he can be the force Everton want him to be and hope him to be and expect him to be. Okay, this is, uh, thank you very much to Dave Downey. This is the Anfield app on Radio City Talk. After this, we will be back with Ben Johnson, Paul Cope, and Glenn Price to have a chat about, well, the way in which midfield looks like it's going to operate not just for Liverpool but across the division. This is the Anfield app on Radio City Talk. And it's become, I'm back with Glenn Price, uh, Paul Cope, and Ben Johnson, by the way. And it's become a bit of a sentiment specialist talking in part one about Lucas and beginning to talk uh, about Naby Keita, his links to Liverpool. And one of the things that keeps coming through on Keita, Glenn, is the number of people who say, you're getting two players for one. You're getting this lad who's, you know, certainly statistically who, who, who wins the ball, who's very, very aggressive, who knows how to intercept, who wins his tackles, puts himself about, he's got pace. Uh, he's got pace in a defensive sense, but he also goes past people. He loves to kill a pass. He is the the all-round sort of box-to-box midfielder. That's that's the chat, and that's why could be one of the reasons why you're not seeing Liverpool be linked with any other midfielder as a backup. Could be because, well, there just sort of isn't one. There's this lad or there's nothing and Liverpool will just go about the rest of the business anyway. That could be the case. But what's interesting about that, Glenn, is is the the idea that we're maybe getting back to the idea that we want our midfielders to be more all-rounders. Maybe Jürgen Klopp does, other managers feel differently. But we want the idea of an all-round midfielder, of a midfielder who is all action, who will always be at the scene of every crime. Yeah, we see that in... We saw that last season, especially with Adam Lallana moving into that position. I think that's a, that's a, like a, the the perfect example in a Liverpool sense that it 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 has changed a bit. And there was Henderson moving back, although I probably think injuries aside, he could probably do that role pretty well as as we've seen um, certainly during the past few seasons. Um, yeah, I, I always think of like Luka Modric is one of my favourite midfielders and. I always associate him with being, you know, elegant and really good on the ball. But when you see him actually play, he's really dynamic and he's he's all all he's everywhere pretty much on a pitch while controlling it. So I think, especially with the way formations have changed, four 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 in midfields not not used that much often now. And you've basically got, especially with Liverpool, the impression was that you you've got one holding midfielder and then you central midfielders can just go forward and, and alternate which ones go forward and yeah the, the role has changed and I get, just guess things in football evolve don't they well I think I think the, the, this evolution is really interesting Paul in that I think it's probably now 10-12 years ago uh, in 2003-4 uh, uh, says Rafa Benitez's Liverpool side, uh, sorry, the Rafa Benitez's Valencia side win uh, what was then the UEFA Cup and Jose Mourinho's uh, Porto side win uh, the Champions League, uh, and they've both got, they both play something that you can sort of characterise as having one or even two lads who who hold and hold and hold, and then lads in front of them, and and they do, you know, for instance, there's there's an excellent piece by Miguel Delaney in the uh, Independent about it, it was entitled "Why Jose Mourinho was so desperate for the right defensive midfielder to be the base for Manchester United to play from," and 
it's an interesting piece because it goes through its history entirely, starting with Costinha at Porto, moving into Macaulay when he's at Chelsea, Alonso at Real Madrid, uh, mentions Cambiasso and Inter Milan, that he loves this idea of his assistant coach on the pitch and that there's someone to do that for him at all times. And while... Liverpool used Henderson deeper last season. It was the conversion of a player, a player who's more who is more all momentum, all action, to come into that deeper role. Cater, you know, Glenn mentions Lallana there, but you look at what's happening elsewhere as well. You look at what Manchester City are doing, and it's something we've talked about, but I think you're seeing it more and more pronounced now that that sort of you do four, two, three, one, and you have two. One of them defo holds, the other one does a little bit of a little bit of the other, but he's there as well to hold. And they're gonna sit there and that's what they're gonna do. Whereas now I do think people are looking Real Madrid, I think, have won two European Cups. That's why I was made up Glenn mentioned Modric, because with lads who run with the ball through the middle of the park. And it does appear to be a bit of a move back to a bit more of an all-rounder in centre midfield rather than the lad who, 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 just, who, who just breaks the waves. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of an evolution all over the pitch. I think I, I um, semi-joked last year that within, within the not-too-distant future we'll, we'll see a team that doesn't have a proper goalkeeper. And, and my Man, Man City has a goal. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> well, that was, that was the point that I was, I was mainly making because I was saying that there are surely outfield players who are as good as with their feet as Bravo was, who were better in goal than him on his performances last year. And my major City fan said to me, Pep, Pep has actually spoken in the past of his dream of playing 11 midfielders in a game. And I actually don't, I know it, it sounds ridiculous, but 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, if I'd have said, you're going to play Javier Mascherano centre-half and win everything, people would say you wouldn't. If you say you're going to start converting the likes of James James Milner to play left back, people would have laughed at it. And it, and you made a good point a few weeks ago where we this in this evolution we used to see centre halves playing full back, and now we're seeing instead of that midfielders playing full back. And there's this sort of gradual progression of more managers who just want loads of footballers on the pitch. And how can they? We saw this all last all last season with Klopp. How can I get more? great footballs on the pitch I could play Moreno left back and he's a proper left back but I can actually just play a really good centre midfielder left back who's really mature and he's a captain on the pitch and all the rest of it and I I just see that this will just continue for the next five to ten years it's it does seem to me a return to the the idea of of the box to box midfielder, which I think I think had gone in. It might still be a box to box midfielder, maybe with someone who does have a bit more sort of positional responsibility. Ben, but it does seem you know the the days of the days of you know of of Alonso Mascherano. I still think that, for instance, if you're Jose Mourinho or, or Rafa Benitez, you might still want that. But I do wonder about the managers who are sort of 10, 10 12 years younger than them who, who, who may well want see that as, as you can get one more attacker on the pitch here, you know, you can get at least one more attacker on the pitch and maybe you don't want someone who's quite as defensively disciplined as well. That does appear to be a bit more of a thing. I want ball players all the time. I think it, I, I mean, I personally think it's related to the, you know, the the abundance of, of pressing related activities on the pitch so you need players who A can press like Liverpool let's take, take Liverpool for example need people who are really good at pressing because we're very good at pressing and we press very high but we also need people who are good on the ball when pressed yeah. so, so they need a better touch than it, than it's so you, your point about playing centre-halves at left-back that doesn't happen because you want somebody at left-back and right-back who can move the ball when mm-hmm. they're pressed and they know where to move to to receive it back for the lad who's about to get pressed next and it's in order to do that, it's almost like, okay, well, we haven't got a stock of fullbacks who are able to play this way of football, so what can we do? We can bring attacker midfielders and, and teach them how to defend to an extent because we're going to defend as a team, because we're going to defend as a, as a unit that all presses at once. Um, so we'd rather have somebody who can be taught how to defend but knows how to control a ball and, and shield the baller's body and press in the right areas and, and close a man's arm than somebody who's really good at holding the shape and kicking the ball out for the throwing. And I think the same is, is I think the point you were making about a box-box midfield, but about people who carry the ball, I think there's something in that in terms of the speed of transition with which teams want to be able to break at. So they want, you know, if you look at what Modric is really good at doing, what he's really good at doing is picking the ball up, driving 10 yards, beating the man, and then open a defence up while the other team's in transition, and then he can play the pass that you need him to play. To come back on that on the pressing thing, this is, I think, you know, you've hit, you've hit one of the nails on the head, and that's, that's you mentioned Modric there. It's the, I think it's the idea of, you're going to get, 
someone's going to close you down. When they close you down, they open themselves up to the fact that if they close you down, you beat them. You're, you're in. You're one beyond. Yeah. And suddenly now everyone's got to do something a little bit different because you've gone one beyond. And now you are looking and there's angles and there's there's pitch opening up. And just on that, I, I still, you know, we cite the 13-14 season and we talk about the brilliance of Suarez and all that sort of stuff. But one of the things we did that year that Liverpool did was they used Coutinho deeper and they used Sterling in the, in the running in more of a centre-mid position. And... I always took from that, you know, and you've got Gerard behind there. Mm. Gerard can beat a man. He can, you know, Gerard technically great. At that point, didn't necessarily have the pace to then get away and maybe beat a second man, but he could beat a man. Henderson was playing. Henderson can beat a man. Again, he's not going to go past two or three. But Coutinho can go past two or three. Sterling can go past two or three. And suddenly, if you go past one, and if you go past two, all you've got is green grass. Well, you've just got green grass. I think it works on two levels. It works on if if you if you're breaking against the team, so you so you beat a man inside your own half. Which Real were really good at doing in the Champions League final. You beat a man inside your own they half. They were brilliant at it, weren't they? Yeah. They were really good first half an hour. And um, you beat a man your own half and you've got all the pitch ahead of you because somebody's then got to shuffle so there's a gap and you've got men behind, men ahead of the ball who can't, interfe- who can't interfere in your attack and whatever you're doing. But it also helps having attacking players playing in their positions when you're at home against a tight defence because you need someone who can beat a man and you might not necessarily beat a man and be up but have loads of grass in front of you but you can beat a man and have a less of a body in front of you to get through on your knee and then at that point you need to be able to play footy there's no good just being able to beat you know Mascherano beating a man on the edge of the box is is one thing but can he play the through ball or can he beat another man or can he have a shot not really that's why he's centre half because he can beat a man at centre half and play a pass through another midfielder and it's all around that and I think what we're look, what Liverpool are trying to do is is get players who can who can Undertake the preferred methods of defending, but also do a load of different things when they're attacking. And I think, and I just noticed something the other night in, in the um, in the Tamiya game. One of our one of our best moves in the first half was when Firmino standing still outside the box. They play it into feet, and as he plays it, when Aldum goes and he just pops it off, and when Aldum's in, he should he should shoot and he tries to pass the storage. It's exactly the same goal as exactly the same as what he did against Middlesbrough with the breakthrough at Middlesbrough, it was a runner, playing into feet and then going past them and hoping and having the ability then to get a decent touch and get a shot off. And I think it's just a number of ways that have been trying to open up a very, very tight area of a pitch. What I think this becomes, Glenn, is it's, he mentions there, you know, the Tramway game of the night, the tight area of the pitch, what you're doing against a pack defence. And this is back to the the fact that, you know, last season there's the enormous gulf between between seventh and eighth in terms of the number of points. So we, well, you're looking at every single season, uh, you know, 20 games against the bottom 10, home and away, where, you know, even in their own ground, they're going to have the idea of, no, 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 we hold these positions, we sit here, we, you know, at home, we might look to get more on the break against you, we might look to get, get win, a, win a few set pieces, but that that's, and that's why I think this is a really interesting conversation tactically, because I think this, you're talking about elite players, but you're also talking about elite players who have to end up playing for elite teams, because these are the demands, and that's where someone like Cater comes in. These are the demands that you've got, so Adam Lallana comes and plays deeper for Liverpool, whereas if Adam Lallana goes back to Southampton tomorrow, he plays in the front three, yeah. because they don't they don't, they don't, don't want that luxury, they, they're almost, they've made the decision that that's not for them, and I think that's something which we've, you know, again, it's something which... I think you're going to see a lot of this season. I think it's going to be the demand that's on. The very, very best sides is you're on endlessly trying to solve this puzzle. Yeah, um, and I think we sort of see that with a bit James Milner playing left-back and just the total unmovement from Klopp about playing a, a central midfielder in left-back. In, in It's just a probably a case of, one, that he's probably got no other option, but two, that Milner's actually a really good footballer and, and is experienced and is intelligent, so so can sort of solve these problems. I think one of the things I took away from the Tranmere friendly was the, the the eagerness of the midfielders, especially the central midfielders, to exploit the space whenever either Sturridge or Firmino moved yeah. away. I think, Wijnald- I certainly remember Wijnaldum, he's probably done about two sessions before this, but just going on a lung-busting run, sprinting, trying to get on the end of this long pass from Henderson. And I think that's what we're going to see a lot more of um, next season. Because at the start of last season, you could we, there was talk about it of Klopp just telling all the players, as many players to get in the box as possible. But as Liverpool were struggling, we didn't see that as much. Um, so maybe that's been re- reinforced again over the summer and... Yeah, we'd we'll see that certainly with it, you know if Kater does come in on that. I mean that that's when Liverpool were struggling. One of the things this is, and I think we've said a couple of times across different shows that you know there's there's a game of season. It hasn't happened yet, but 
if Liverpool get done 6-2, it wouldn't surprise me. Mm-hmm. Because what a lot of this is, when people talk about it, and he, he's mentioned it there, Glenn, a lot of this is a bit of a high-wire act, in that if you're playing well and you're trying to do all of this, then you're playing well and you're trying to do it all, and everyone's playing well and it all works. And then you know, you're know asking a lot of players to play well a lot of the time, to play at the, at the, at play the 8 out of 10 level for fitness, the 8 out of 10 level for quality, the 8 out of 10 level for tactical acuity, the 8 out of 10 level right the way across the board. Yeah. And if one of them slips, you've got a little bit of a problem. If two of them slip, you've got big holes. And that, again, this is why a lot of this sort of conversation, you're almost having across the whole of this league two different conversations about what you expect from football. That the convers that the the you know the the Stoke City rap is having a very very different conversation to the Anfield rap. The Anfield rap is having a very similar conversation. I spoke to uh, Steve Armstrong about it from United We Stand. I just sent him a text this morning about Brian Robson and the line he used just just because I was thinking you know we going back to something a bit nineteen eighties and the line he used about Robson was which which I really really liked. His strength was just being everywhere where it mattered on the pitch at any time. And I think that's quite you know if you wanted to define what you wanted from a centre mid, well that's sort of it, but. That doesn't necess- that isn't that isn't what Tony Pulis wants from his sentiments. He wants his sentiments to be there where I've told you, yeah. and that you know we are sort of almost all playing different games now to this to this extent, which I think is the greatest it's ever been. Yeah, definitely. It's it's interesting that you mentioned Steve because I, I was as you were talking, then I was just thinking about Ferguson's Man United, and they they always had being battered in them. They had it in the locker. They, they think back to even it, it, it's hard. I whenever I think of the when we were doing the Torres memories through the weekend, that grit. Like I love that game, the four one. But then when you reflect on it after the event, now you've got the the benefit of hindsight and see what happened. Actually, like well, they don't care, do they? They don't. They don't really care. They got beat four one. City did it to them. It, they don't care. They won the league. <laughs> Who's bothered? And because he he played in a way. And this is this is something football fans in general, I think, don't don't take enough time to sit and think about. Is that everyone loves the people talk about Ferguson being the great manager, arguably the greatest of all time, in outside of this city. It's um, quite an argument. Yeah, it's quite yeah. an argument. Um, but they, but the, but they, and they love the fact that like he'd finished the game with four strikers on the pitch, just throwing everything at them. But the games he do that and get beat. But he he basically had the, the made the decision that. The reality is, if you play like that most of the time, you're going to win most games. Yeah. And the games you you lose, well, it's three points for a win and it's one for a draw. So who cares? It means I won't draw that many games, but I'll win loads of them. Yeah. And having that, but having that philosophy means you have to be prepared for those games where you just get battered because th- things just don't go well. Teams go, go against you. Yeah, teams are lucky. Teams that teams are just you'd have Iretas forward who's just who's every near goes in. Well, I mean, it we have we have had that over the even in the the infamous Stoke game for Rodgers. Everything they hit went in, yeah. and you got battered, and everyone went absolutely mad. But it's like, but lads, literally everything they hit went in. They yeah. had they had seven shots and scored six goals. That that does just doesn't... the Insanity goals, mad. Yeah. Now that I can look back on it, it's crazy, isn't it? Rob Gutman was next to me, and I think he was saying something like, he was saying to me something like, you know what, if we can just get to half time here, uh, we can we can possibly turn this round. And he said, and he, he, you know, he's just sort of going, yeah, if we just get if we can just get the half here, you know, you never know what comes out here second half. And I went, yeah, Rob, yeah, but the thing is, and and Insanity was 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 in the process of striking the ball. I went, the thing is, mate, that's in, <laughs> <laughs> and that's in, you know, uh, and that was oh, that was that was for five nil. Sorry, he was thinking he was going, you know, four nil. You never know. I've seen it in the past and as, as, as Nzonzi puts his foot through it that's in though you know <laughs> and it just flew in but no you're and this it, it's happened to everyone I think well it happens to these sides Ben and this is it is that sort of if you're going to play and this if you're going to want to have the very very best players then the way in which you get them and keep them most of the time and I think that's why Mourinho still remains this sort of outlier because he is good at saying you know this, you're all elite footballers but you're going to ruin a game in an elite way for me Whereas I think the rest, I think you look at the rest of the division, the managers who who, who, who want to say you're all elite footballers, you're going to go and show why you're elite footballers, and and you're gonna, you know, Chelsea may have less of the ball and be prepared to keep a shape, but when they go, they really go, and you know, all of that sort of stuff. That's what you're now looking at. Yeah, you're on, and, and and you know you 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 need you need a really good team and a really good system to win to win the league in this because there's so many good players. Everybody's got good players these days, even West Brom. I've got a team. They've got five or six good players. They've got a, you know some yard dogs who are just filling space. But that's fine. But but I think the interesting thing with the challenge for the for the likes of you know the top six is that you're asking them to play. We've said it before. You're asking them to play two different games. And you mentioned it before. You've got two different you've got two different styles. 
you've got you know you've got your, your West Broms and and the likes of them who are going to set up to frustrate and they're not interested really in playing footy. They just want percentages and blah blah blah. And then you've got to, so Liverpool have got to find a solution to that. But then they've got to find a solution to beating the other best teams who want to play footy. And it, and so you need the best players who are completely tactically flexible to be able to do that because you're asking them to do that. It's almost like asking them to win in basketball and win in football. One basketball first half, football second half, or basketball one week, football the second week. You're asking, it's a strange, it's a strange development. And this is why, Glenn, Liverpool's links this summer are interesting, I think, along those sorts of lines, that we, we know who the players are, they're not going anywhere, we know that the big three, Salah's in and it's done, uh, there's one of them, uh, and I, I sort of suspect that Salah's not been bought because Liverpool are looking at, I've been looking at the results and the performances against the other, and, and the demands of the games against the other top six, you know, before we even had Mane, Liverpool were able to put a side together to go to Manchester City and win 4-1. So it isn't as though they're sitting there thinking that's where you need that sort of player. He'll be, he'll help, but that's not what it's there for. But I wonder if, you know, the the Van Dijk and the Keiter ones, they are about simultaneously improving against the bottom, the bottom ten, but they're also about strengthening, strengthening the core games against in in those six as well. It's the idea that we can be better at, at little bits and pieces here and there, but they're the ones who are your more sort of holistic signings, your more sort of the two haven't come in yet. Whereas Salah is, we've seen that we struggle in the absence of Mane against sides in the bottom in the in, in the bottom twelve. We lose something when we haven't got those quick feet and that threat from wide areas. We lose something, and that that's almost if you begin to think of Liverpool's transfer business along those sorts of lines, you can see how there's there is that sort of that's where the balancing act is. That's where the seesaw is. Yeah, and it's funny you say that because I spoke to. Marco Strella who was his, his former teammate at Basel and asked him the same question he was like he reminded me that Basel were you know the biggest club in, in Switzerland I know it's not the same level but he came up against those problems and in Switzerland and you know solved them he was a, he was a massive hit for them and he he was saying you could also point out the same thing about Roma you know they finished second in Serie A so they're a big club and will likely to face those challenges and, he, and Strella was just on about how Salah's just constantly on the move, um, which you know sh- should be perfect for for, for this system uh, under Klopp, and how he was always on the move, always looking to exploit space, and, and he has does have the ability to win matches, which I think his signing solves that problem and also adds pace, which is another you know area that was needed in this Liverpool team. There's looking at the sort of the way which the the season breaks down and looking at what was achieved last season, Paul, there is that, you know, it's all the way through the talk has been Liverpool want to get better players. They want to get better players than the players they currently got at competition and then you've got the idea of, you know, you've got the strength and depth that you're going to need when you're running into these other, these other challenges and these other tactical challenges. But this is where, for me, you know, the, the, the Champions League qualifier and then hopefully getting into the group stage, that's where the season does look genuinely exciting because you've seen what this Liverpool side can do when it's given a, a tactical problem to solve against a very, very good side. And you've seen it run past space. You've seen it go toe-to-toe. The, the, the away game, I thought, against Manchester City last season is one of the best football matches I've ever seen, despite mm-hmm. the fact that it finishes 1-1 in terms of the quality that's on show. Yeah. There's the, again, as part of the centre midfield dominated conversation, there is the fact that you get to 50 minutes and you just need to wrap Yaya Torre in one of those silver cloaks because he's absolutely finished and he could, just couldn't do it. Yeah. And, you know, that... that that's where you got to see that gulf between a fella who you've seen be, and he's still relatively young, certainly compared to me, be the elite of the sport who suddenly has gone, I can't live with this. Mm-hmm. And that's where, again, why the Kaita signing, if it happens, the amount of money Liverpool are prepared to pay, what it is they think they're getting is someone who can take those games and absolutely dominate them and be the centre midfielder who's, who's Alistair Armstrong's line about Brian Robson, the centre midfielder who's there in everything, everything that matters, every key moment. That's what they're looking for. They're looking to break that idea that, no, you've just got your job, you've just got your job, you've just got your job. They want someone or another one who's there for every key moment and in those games, those Champions League games, that's how they'll impress and that's how they'll progress. Yeah, I'm really excited about the Champions League for that for that very reason. We, even for the, for the whole time Klopp's been there, we've we've stood up in the big games better than in anything else. So what what bigger games are you going to get than the Champions League? Um, and as for as for Kater, I think the other thing about it is, I can imagine you look at someone like Henderson. Henderson's a, a, a lad who has been captain throughout his life and and has always stood up to challenges, and he'll be looking at. 
if we get Kiter in as a huge challenge, he knows he's being doubted. He knows people are asking questions about him. He's captain. He knows last season before he got injured, he was great, but he's got a lot to prove. And when we're, t- I think the likes of Kiter coming in could have a, a similar impact to the likes of Suarez or, from a team perspective because it raises everybody else's levels. You, you've all of a sudden got these lads there competing with each other and Henderson will be thinking, right, well, if I want to get in this team ahead of that lad, I need to do all the things he can do. I need to be the one who's all over the pitch. I need to be involved in every phase of play and give the other side something to think about at every at every moment. And it, and I think it's possible. I think when you look at these lads, I, I love Jono's point from before it's, it's something I I just can't understand why people are losing their heads we were talking with, with Rob on, on the Gutter show a couple of weeks ago and he was referring it to the end the summer after 13-14 and how is it, is it going to be a similar thing and I said well there's one key difference between then and now we're not losing any of our best players by the looks of it we're going to keep everyone together that did so well so often last year and we've already added to that so even if you just kept that same group you don't lose any of them well, you're starting the season ahead of some of your rivals because they've already lost players or they are likely to lose some key players. And all right, they might they might have already bought some, but but we all know what the risks are with buying new players anyway. You don't know whether they're going to come in and do as well as the last lad did. The other point as well on, on, on adding, you know, some of the best players, you know, certainly elite level players to that, to that team and that squad is, you know, you, okay, you raise the competition level in the team, but also... It enables you game by game to carry on doing what you're doing. So you know, sixty minutes that city game, sixty minutes Torre goes off. There's ten minutes we, we where we battered them, and then we we couldn't get the breakthrough that we needed, and then they scored, and then we looked a little bit tired. But having the two or three more options on the bench to, who can do that, you know, last season we didn't necessarily have the options who could come on and carry on doing that. It, the the exact same roles we had to maybe tweak the way we were playing slightly if. We needed to take off one of the wide players. Firmino ended up going wide and Origi went up front because we didn't have the options. Whereas if you need to take off a wide player and you've got Salah, Salah can just go straight in and Firmino can stay up front and your game plan stays the same and you don't have to modify what you're doing. You can just get a little bit of an impetus by the fresh legs who've come on who are carrying on doing the same thing. I think that's a big bonus. That's sort of getting overlooked as well a little bit. Indeed, bench against City was uh, Carius, Lovren, uh, Moreno, uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Leiva, Origi and Ben Woodburn. You can see that difference already. Listen, this has been the Anfield Wrap this week. Huge thank you to Dave Downey before for talking to us about Everton, Glenn Price, Paul Cope and Ben Johnson and my squeaky chair. Uh, more of this sort of thing to come. Liverpool play Wigan. Well, it's kicked off by the time this show finishes. You can watch it if you want, but we'll be talking about it as well post-match the Anfield Wrap dot com forward slash subscribe you know it all by now sports social podcast network